That's right. I wanted to have a daughter, didn't I? I didn't get along so well with my old man. I hated him, and I didn't want to have a son who hated me the same way. Silly, huh? Worrying about those things. No. It's not silly at all. It's going to be a girl, I'm sure of it. Our poor baby. How can you ever forgive me? We just have to accept it. I've got you. That's all that matters. Have a wonderful day! If only I wasn't here, your life wouldn't be so hard. Don't you ever say those words again. You're just trying to find some way to escape from all this. You can't give in, or delude yourself into thinking there's an easy answer. No matter how hard it may be, if you don't run away, we'll overcome it together. Thank you, my love. Lisa. My life is almost over. <sighs> but I wanted to say goodbye before I leave. Say goodbye to the man I know so well. No, wait. I get it. I understand now. I was very happy with you. Misai! Cardiac arrest! 10 cc's epinephrine. Father? Since when was I ever your father? I get it now. It's all starting to make sense. <laughs> this whole place is nothing but a big lie! It's all just a lie. Everything! What are you doing? Stop it! I'm surrounded by fools and idiots! Stop your babbling, you stupid dog! My place disappeared from this world a long time ago! The reality is that there is no place for me anymore. But that's the reality I have to face! The Chief is back! And is it, it is anime-splaining, and don't come into our two-dimensional village, son. It's episode 21. It is the second half of Paranoia Agent. And the reason why I couldn't use the line, whoever told, me, hey, whoever told you that I was your father, son, is because I'm using that as, like, our lead-in thing. The best moment of this whole series. But... Watching the finale with us is Joey and Marlon. And Joey, you didn't like this. So. I did. Got way went off the rails in a bad way. Whereas JoJo's went off the rails in later episodes in a fun way that just got goofy. But maybe it's because I wasn't supposed to take it seriously. This one where I was supposed to take it seriously and it went so off the rails, and then they just lost me pretty quickly is it that it's off the rails in preachy like it's it's very full of itself or like un unpack your feelings on i this wouldn't one. call it 
I wouldn't call it full of itself. It's just like this, how this whole idea of like, oh, you need to be cornered. You need to be cornered. But then like, it takes all the feelings of every single person in humanity and turns into some giant thing that destroys Tokyo instead of just this little, little person that's basically myth. I just, just became way goofy town. And then the cop that becomes Batman or the ex cop that becomes Batman fighting, fighting little slugger with all of his emotions and packing all of his emotions into a punch. And like I said, I don't like anime fight scenes. Just all the time failing. Just using using the special JoJo's Hamon attack and failing every time because Satoshi Kone does not like those types of shows. See, I like everything that Joey hated. I feel the exact opposite of everything you just said. I like the idea of one person's darkness becoming everyone's darkness because they kind of saw it as an excuse. So everyone's little slugger became one big little slugger, and I, you know, I just I'm into stuff like that. Yeah, I when I first saw this, I remember not liking the second half when I actually was able to finally watch the whole thing in sequence and watch the ending. And it's like, okay, there's this big blob monster at the very end. This this ending doesn't work. Now when I've like I. I literally watched an A24 movie today, <laughs> and <laughs> I just uh, just sped through the the last six episodes, and I like the second half more than the first. I like that it's, like, out of sequence. I like that it is much more abstract with what it's talking about, and I like how it's just, at this point, Satoshi Kone is pulling no punches, and just, like ragging on about whatever he feels like ragging on about it per episode. I think that is fantastic. I think it's lazy storytelling, but we'll... I don't, know, I don't see it as lazy. I see it as more fantasy. I guess, yeah. Not coherent. Um, there we go. So, Marwin, uh, since... Was this your first time going through the whole thing in sequence, or yes. is this just the most recent time? It, so, what were your takeaways on actually watching it in sequence at this point. Considering this is where I started when I originally watched it and just left confused, it makes way more sense this time. And I appreciate the gradual build from very realistic grinding in reality. We're trying to solve murders. We're trying to solve these attacks to no, wait, this is a figment of our imagination to wait. This is a figment of everyone's imagination. And now it's tangible. <laughs> I, I, I like it as a big fan of animes like Fooly Cooly. I, I like when things go from normal to weird. I can't think of many movies off the top of my head that do that, but I appreciate when things get a little goofy by the end. Like, um, I have, this might be a terrible example, but the first thing that comes to mind is, um, I'm sorry for bothering you. I'm not sure if you've watched that. Oh yeah. I remember that movie. <laughs> yeah. By the end we have even horse people. So I love <laughs> movies that end of just shit like that for, and they don't really explain it too much. So this was right up my alley. Okay, so we'll much like the last one, we'll go episode by episode because I think there's something to unpack pretty much in every single one. And the first one is Happy Family Planning, uh, partially Satoshi Kone with uh, with Tokyo Godfathers in his head and kind of wanting to write a wholesome comedy, but he still has his very dark sense of humor with three characters trying to commit suicide that 
end up being killed by some construction equipment and are still just in a perpetual state of trying to kill each other or trying to kill themselves. Well, also trying to ditch this small girl. But, Joey, what did you think of the comedy of Happy Family Planning? I thought it was <laughs> I, this, this one, like, I, I get what they were trying to do. I just, like, none of it really made sense to me. Because, I mean, like, one, the episode. So, obviously, I'm I'm thinking, like, okay, is this a... Like, is he trying to say something about abortion? But, like, one of the characters is an old man who's lived a full life. The other one is is gay. We see in the one scene based on his locket. And so, like, the idea, like, we should, you know, instead of being gay, you should have been aborted. And the only one where it made sense to me where they're trying to ditch the younger girl. But she's too cheery to want to kill herself. And she's mainly just looking for for somebody to to basically be around or to like looking for a family of her own, I guess is kind of the way I read it. And it's just, just goofy. Like if they were really trying to kill themselves, why was it so hard to hang themselves in the forest? Why just, just goofy town. I, they're, all, they're already dead at that point. Joey. No. <laughs> they die. They die when the uh, construction equipment bashes through the door. Because oh. it hard it hard cuts to them then laying on the sidewalk, and it doesn't show you how they got there, and that's when the crows start following them. So oh, that's effect- that's effectively when they got killed. Yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> so, so does Satoshi Kone just suicide is just like your punishment for committing suicide is just to keep trying to kill yourself? Is that essentially oh, what? I don't really know what like, he's trying to say other than just something about Exactly. You don't know what he's trying to say because it's just it's goofy town. It's open to interpretation. You gotta look at it as an art museum. We're all gonna have different results. I saw it as it's not really a punishment. It's more like Wadi Coyote when he's running and he doesn't notice that the ground's gone. They're long dead, but they didn't notice that they died. So they're still trying to do this thing that they were trying to do in life, which I guess is a great explanation for ghosts in the first place. But I saw it as all of these people learning to have a family that they didn't have before, especially this little girl, they all found a reason to quote unquote live through this girl. They didn't want her to get hurt. Every time they tried to kill themselves, they find an excuse to keep going to protect this child, which is kind of ironic. They hated themselves. They wanted to kill themselves, but they wanted to keep this child going. And that was the beauty in it. But then Tony just said they're dead. So that's kind of wild. Of course, the Satoshi Cohen. At least them being dead now does excuse because the the main part I hated about this episode is where they start chasing down little slugger, asking him to bash yeah. him. And I was like, why all of a sudden you've established little slugger as this character that's that's basically an apparition that's that everybody's fearful of, yet now he's fearful of these people. So that that really I mean, it still irks me based on storytelling, but at least now if they're ghosts, it would make sense for him, like, why? I'm not gonna hit a Someone who's already dead. Because there's nothing little slugger right. can do. Right. <laughs> it, still, it still doesn't really, to me, like resonate with a character that's supposed to be like this this fearless apparition that's ready to take on anything or ready to bash anything. I to me that that still doesn't work based on like especially with the episode we come up next, which it was probably the one I liked the best, at least of the second season. I feel yeah, like I, it does track, though. It, it tracks if it being a bully and only wanting to hit people who wants it to hit them. 
every time it's confronted with anything, it backs off. It's like Pennywise. He's not a bully, though. He's just an emotion. It's like it's like this apparition. I mean, they're brought together by the kid who they thought little, little Slugger was, because you learn that he wants to kill himself, too. I think if I have that right, he's part of this chat group. Yeah, he was part of the chat group. He was the one known as Fox. Mm-hmm. I think the redeeming quality of of Happy Family Planning, which is one of the weaker episodes, I will admit, are two scenes that like kind of cement the episode. The first is when they're thinking, well, one, they're already dead, but they're going like, oh, well, we'll just jump in front of the train, and just before you jump in front of the train, you, like, push her back, and then someone jumps in front of the train before they do, yeah. and they're like, oh, that's <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> Let's not do this. That makes sense now when you see that guy, too, because all of a sudden he gets up in front of the train, and I'm like, what the f-? Like, yeah. Okay. And then the other one is the very end when they're just walking down the street being happy and they photobomb the three girls taking a picture. And then when the girls look at it, they didn't notice that these these ghosts were photobombing them, but apparently it shows up on the picture itself. So right. they scream. I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't know there were ghosts. I just assumed there were people photobombing. I, should, I guess I should have paid more attention. <laughs> I mean, to me, them being ghosts makes that scene dumber. Right, because why are they showing up on the, on the freaking well, photo? Not, but at least showing up in the camera like would make it scary, but I think that would be more confusing. Whereas if they were actually there and photobombed it, I think it was like, oh, these weird people that were just there photobombed us. That yeah, would... but then why wouldn't they hear them say cheese? <laughs> they were right behind them. They're ghosts. Well, it, and Ghosts on Film is a thing. There is an entire Japanese horror franchise in video games about it called Fatal Frame. <laughs> called That's them. true. <laughs> and then Insidious ripped that off. But yeah, Happy Family Planning, not the best episode, but second, be- second best episode, in my opinion, is Etc., which is four housewives, like, just spitballing ideas about Little Slugger telling them like they're the truth and I love this episode. <laughs> just just a whole bunch of ideas that were on the cutting room floor from their original brainstorming that they're just tossing in there. And my personal favorite one is the like old uh old Japanese story about like, oh this this girl will die when the last leaf falls, so her boyfriend slash husband slash whatever like paints a leaf on there and then they have the twist at the end but satoshi Kone knows that this story is bullshit so much that they actually change the animation style for it to be this like just like factory made like tug at your heartstrings anime and i i love whenever this show changes animation style it is so good I wish that stuff mattered to me. I <laughs> I could catch on to your guys' excitement about stuff like that, but I think that's part of the reason I'm not crazy about anime is because the, the styles don't make I care. I mean, just hit me over the head with the story that I like. I think I'm starting to see that now. Some people are story people. Some people are visual people. And yeah, if the story doesn't make sense, you're just not going to dig it. There's still a visual degree. Like I said, like the fight scenes, I don't like at the end. 
because of the, the, those visuals I'm not particularly a fan of. So there is st- some striking things visually, but I it's I guess like that was never something I noticed in the episode was the animation styles changing throughout. But I did like how like each one like where little slugger becomes like this like his mythos just grows larger. And I think that was kind of fun. How like every housewife just gets like a more and more ludicrous story each time. And then they call each other dumb because they're like, that's not believable. But here's my even more ludicrous story. It's literally a housewife's tales that, tale now. And I I think it makes sense that he become I maybe it's that cool feat that became very realistic and physical that he became a giant blob. But I like what he represented. The idea that this story took the whole city by storm and it kind of engrossed them and they're all caught up in the fear and paranoia. It's like the summer of Sam all over again, but they made Sam a blob. And I think that like, so part of my problem is this episode where it's like, it felt like Jojo's because I was, they're getting ludicrous to the point of almost feeling like it should be making fun of itself. But I already know from the tone of the show, it does take itself seriously because the one where (laughs) the one lady does, um, the uh the in vitro and they're like oh you put the wrong egg and sperm in her and all of a sudden then she's having problems but those ultrasounds are months months later <laughs> like i won't her body would have rejected it by now but either way so the story just gets more and more ludicrous so it becomes funny like i should be making fun of it but at the same time or know it knowing i should think of it as comedy but at the same time i know this show already takes itself pretty seriously I think it can take itself seriously and also know its own joke. It's like if you, um, alongside this, uh, Tina and I have been watching Sandman. And Sandman is something where the tone of the show in general and the tone of the comic was very dark. But there are times that uh, Neil Gaiman really likes to like put his clown nose on and do something goofy. He has a convention for serial killers. It, it's... <laughs> He, he understands that some things that he's going to put in are ludicrous while his characters are talking about, like, the nature of storytelling and all these other things. So I think you can do both. Wait, and... Neil in real life has a convention for serial killers or he does in the show? No, it's in the Sandman. It's like the entire second arc. <laughs> mm. I watched the first episode. I still got to catch up because Cobra Kai came out. There's a giant dog creature named Martin Tenbones, and <laughs> why did they call the show that? I would have watched it. <laughs> I would recommend re- uh, listening to the audio version on Audible because I think James McAvoy is a better dream than the actor that they got for it. But if you like visuals more than just like audio ness, then yeah, the Sandman on on Netflix is pretty decent. But I think the, better than the, the Audible Witcher. version. The most oh, yeah, it's better than The Witcher. There's a lot of things better than The Witcher. Better what I'm trying to give a fair shot. We did not like Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which is also still worse than The Witcher, but I- I'm making the comparison. <laughs> just saying. Also, Joey, I do like the in vitro fertilization story just for the dialogue on its own. It's like, oh, I'm worried about my baby. Yes, your baby. Definitely your baby. 
Maybe it's because I was trying to take it seriously. I'm like, that baby would be dead. Like she would, her body would reject that like immediately. It's what a wives that? tale. It's Showing literally the, being told by. Mean, and that's, what, that's the problem I have with it is like, that's why I think it's the funniest because it is goofy. And that's why I like this episode. But at the same time, I'm like, how seriously am I supposed to be taking this show at this point? Because then it like makes all like, because again, the happy family planning where scaring, scaring little slugger, these three. So little slugger is a ghost scared by other ghosts. And then just the more ludicrousness of fighting against ex vigilante cops that we'll probably get into in a little bit. See, I, I see it as why not both. I, my, one of my favorite things is when comedies lean into other genres and vice versa. Like a show like Community or Scrubs could have a really sad episode added up doing and just be very jarring. Or something like Breaking Bad could have a hilarious episode in the middle of it. It's, it's like a nice peanut butter and jelly sandwich kind of thing. You could have your salt with your, your sweets. One of, the, one of the best superhero uh, fiction things in general in these past years was Peacemaker. And Peacemaker like splits the difference between let's very seriously talk about like entrenched racism and also let's be goofy and talk about butterflies going up people's butts. <laughs> you can yeah, do both. <laughs> really good at doing both. I mean, people may have said he leads too much on comedy and guardians too, but generally if his movies, he's really good at doing both. I really like Slitter. James Gunn now has two separate things where aliens are going up people's butts. <laughs> I, I do this not think it. it will be the last. Who knows what Guardians 3 is going to bring us, but I don't know if you get that past Disney. Okay, so then we get into episode 10, Mellow Maromi, or to use a CM Punkism, <laughs> I'm old and fucking tired and I work with children. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be a shirt. That should be a shirt. <laughs> Yeah, notice how in the in this episode they never talk about the actual uh production director because that is Satoshi Kone's job and he does not want to make fun of himself. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else gets ragged on, but he he Kone seems to have like a real bone to pick with uh actual production companies and overworking their animators. He really Seems to have empathy for like the on the ground workers and animators in anime, but absolutely hates the the people on like the production and producer side. Is the one like? Yeah. I mean, is the one dude really that overworked? He just seems to like just not do anything when he's actually there, and then gets himself into a time crunch. That's because well, Sato the ma the main guy because Satoshi Kon does not like him. Okay. <laughs> The production coordinator. The one dude who, who's like daydreaming in the very beginning because he's such a fan of the show, or at least the the one girl who creates the main character. Mm -hmm. and just And then, so yeah, then he's the one that passes out in the car or whatever. Yeah, no. Satoshi Kon does not like this production coordinator main character if it wasn't apparent <laughs> that he does not like him. <laughs> um... But at the same tell. <laughs> and make sure to tell you, like, the only reason why this guy has a job is because, like, someone higher than, like, the main person running the project, like, told him to hire him. 
So he does not have, he does not like nepotism, Satoshi Kon does. <laughs> there it is. Because Bill Bonaga was such a dick, I was kind of worried who I was supposed to side with. <laughs> like, whatever it is, not this guy, if his eyebrows doing that thing. Doesn't help that his name is Nobunaga Oda. Yeah, I, on the one hand, it's like, I think this this episode does show its age a little bit in that, like, dude's boss is, like, actively, like, punching him and throwing him to the ground and things like that. And it's like, that's not okay, but at the same time, it's like, this dude should have been fired a long time ago. <laughs> well, that's what you're asking. Like, why, why are you just beating the shit out of him instead of just kicking him out the door? But Right. Like, I thought... Like, it, it made him more sympathetic for me. Like I understand where Satoshi Kon's coming from, but I'm not gonna say that the guy, the boss, beating the shit out of his employees. Like there's no scenario where I do that. No, and obviously the the main villain is like the overall like machine that we are all feeding into as they pull the pull the episode tape off uh, Saruta's lifeless corpse <laughs> and go like, oh god, it's here. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make just to make sure that Cone Cone get uh like communicates the joke. He does the same joke twice, where someone is literally dead and they just pull like, oh, here it is. So that's karma for him being that heartless and doing that in the first place. But he also claims to not have noticed that she was dead at all. So I also believe him there. But I guess Marlon what. Your overall thoughts on this episode? Personal, fa- my personal favorite scene is when the one dude from the like company that owns Maromi's like marketing comes in and like, oh, since you guys are known to like sleep at your desk because you're so overworked, here's some pillow. <laughs> that was a very important message for me that they kind of kept overlooking and at the same time beaten to your head. Rest, get some rest. <laughs> Get some rest. Get some rest. And he kept falling asleep on himself. And they, they didn't notice that did no one notice that they were just overworked and frustrated. And that's why. I guess I guess no one could notice because they're the ones on the bottom getting overworked. So at the people at the top, the irony of them just saying them pillows, that's that's a kick in the nuts. And I, I love that. I just explained the joke, I know, but I <laughs> I love yeah, about it. It's the we have posted record profits, but no one's gained a raise this year, but we're having pe- a pizza party on Friday. Yes, that's <laughs> it. The pillows are a pizza party. That's what they feel. <laughs> you guys should get some rest. You should animate about getting rest while not getting any rest. And Joey, what did you think about this like scathing takedown of the of the anime inter- industry back in two thousand four? I mean I honestly didn't think much of it. I mean, I'm probably thinking more of it now, but it's more or less the, like, you created this project, aren't you being guilty of the same thing right now is probably what's immediately coming to my mind. Like, trying is is he trying to change it from within type thing? But that's all. That's the thing. It's not his project. It's, um, I can't, I can't even forget her name. She's the main character. It's her idea. It's her dog. It's her everything. But here's the people who have to work and produce this idea into a cartoon show. They don't give a shit. They're just doing a job. And they're being worked to the bone for something they don't even give a shit about. And I think I, I think Joey's referring to Satoshi Kon having his own animation company. Are you, Joey? Oh, in real life. Well, or his, at least his own like show in this case. Yeah. Um, and in real life, there was... 
a big argument between Satoshi Kone and Hayao Miyazaki because Miyazaki is is like Vince McMahon. He is known to never sleep. He overworks everyone else because he doesn't sleep. And he overworks himself. And meanwhile, Satoshi Kone was more kind of the it-gets-done-when-it-gets-done type of person. So, from, from all accounts, when Kone got really, really big, he tried to stay to, like, schedules that were realistic. I guess what... So, the way I would probably view that is instead of more like when, for example, when, like, people make music. So, like, when NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys... It was very cookie cutter, but they would turn out albums at least once a year when they were big. Whereas like when Tool, for example, who I was a big fan of in college, still kind of am a fan, but they would take 10 years to make an album. That's kind of, so that makes sense to me, that that analogy. Well, NSYNC wasn't writing their own music, but I get get the analogy. (laughs) But yeah, but I mean, then you're making a whole nother team of people write music and that cranking out that fast. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the Foo Fighters come out with an album like every two years because they're <laughs> very, very prolific while Dave Grohl works for like eight different bands. Probably not anymore. but Probably not, but at, at, his, at his height, he was yeah. all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he just releases first drafts. Like just whatever comes out, just release it, whatever. That's not this album. That's it. They're not even necessarily that good. Just here's a song. There you go. If it sucks, well, who cares? <laughs> R.I.P. Taylor Hawkins. You're a hell of a drummer. Yeah. Is it sad that's the end of the Foo Fighters for me? I might listen to another album, but I just kind of don't feel like it. Once a member dies, it's, once the original lineup is gone, I'm done. Right? It's like why the Rolling Stones are still popular. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are still alive despite their best efforts. And why ACDC sucks after Bon Scott. <laughs> Okay, so while we were gone in those last three episodes, the plot was happening, and now the plot comes back for <laughs> 11, 12, and 13. <laughs> <laughs> but we get to meet uh, Detective Ikari's wife, or former Detective Ikari's wife, in No Entry, which is my personal favorite episode. I love this episode um, because, one, it's one of Satoshi Kone's best-written female characters and cone is not the greatest at writing female characters um (laughs) but also because he he takes the he takes the time to note that like little slugger who's just becoming this like unstoppable force is just put in his place by this like kindly like woman who's dying who's just kind of accepted that she's going to die, but understands that she should keep fighting for life. And I think that this episode does what Death Parade's ending wanted to do, and it does it better like 10 years before Death Parade did. Yeah, that's the best way. I I enjoyed this certainly a lot more than Death Parade. It felt a lot more balanced than Death Parade. Yeah, so so Joey, this is is an episode where it's just two characters, not even two characters talking philosophical. It's one character talking philosophical at an entity. <laughs> then you have like the little bit where they establish the ex-detective as he's working construction job next to like some r- bank robber he had arrested or like his first arrest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
the initial part that threw me out, that like I thought was initially dumb is when the bank robber says to him like, oh yeah, you mentioned you have a wife back home. Why the fuck would he mention you like he's arresting you? Let me tell you about my home life. So that was part of that. Uh, I thought was stupid dialogue. Yeah, you catch the well, same old school criminal enough and you'll like talk to him. It's like, oh, you're you're running down the street with that burlap sack again. Okay. <laughs> that was- yeah, I thought that's what it was kind of hinting at, that it was a better time with a better class of criminals and not like this crazy ranted violent stuff. Like you can understand a criminal in a mask and a burlap sack. You can't understand something like the little slugger. And like the other thing is I understand like this they want the story to happen, but from what you've built up Lil Slugger to be from the episodes previous, from the end of episode six where you learn that he's not human. He's more almost ghost or apparition or, or basically almost just a myth. And then you establish like the housewife episode and all of a sudden you would think like this lady is emotionally cornered, but you you realize later on, like throughout the episode, she's much more emotionally stable and she plants the quote unquote trap for Little Slugger. But you'd think in the beginning, like Little Slugger just would have hit her with the bat right away without even listening to her and just leave from how they were establishing that character. That was mostly the problem I had with it. Like the message is fine. I'm I'm fine with it, but at least if you're trying to establish these ideas of what Little Slugger is, I don't think it works. Yeah, I think that the episode is trying to do two things. It is, one, putting Little Slugger in its place um, from a character that you don't expect. And granted, a character that you haven't seen up until now. Um, But the other thing it's trying to do is it's effectively showing uh, Detective Akari's fall. Not only has he lost his detective job, but he's working construction uh, construction jobs. He doesn't have the respect of being a cop anymore. And, like, basically showing that anyone can fall for this, not necessarily nostalgia, but a a yearning for a reality that doesn't exist, to live in a fantasy world. So... This is where he does end up going to, like, this completely two-dimensional world that, oh yeah, every everything's old-fashioned. Everything is as I remember it. But it's not real. It's two-dimensional. It's everyone is doing this and you're just ignoring it. And it is showing that starting thing and that that is the main thing that Cone really wants to attack in these, like, next two episodes is that idea that even the best of us can like get in this headspace where we think that this is now the world that we live in when it's not it's like the world the world is still garbage and we need to fix it yeah i feel like you kept hitting us in the face with the cigarettes called hope on that one (laughs) he's just he's just living in hope land like maybe it'll get better Maybe it'll get better. Like, no, you and need then to they make are. it better. So, <laughs> so Radar Man and the final episode, literally called the final episode, uh, we can kind of tackle both together because not much happens in Radar Man other than just telling that us. Is, that is not true. You find out, like, the dog Mizumi is, like, some super powerful whatever the hell. <laughs> I don't, I still don't understand what that dog was supposed to be. He's a little slugger. Wait, wasn't he bad? But then he fights the little slugger and he fights the blob. I don't, 
that then it was like what the hell was that dog okay so little slugger is an entity that is basically the collective anxiety of all people after your anxiety gets too it gets too much it effectively acts as a acts as a get out of jail free card because you just say, hey, I was attacked by a little slugger, and suddenly all your anxiety is relieved even if it kills you. Maromi is the safeguard for your anxiety. It is the false hope that keeps little slugger at bay, but both of those things are poisonous. So why would they fight each other instead of strengthening each other? Because Maromi is protecting Sukiko, who is the creator of both of them. Maromi is making sure that Sukiko does not accept that her actions led to her puppy dying. And that she's been lying ever since about that. I get that. It's just grown and grown and grown to the point that her anxiety has become everyone's anxiety. This is, this is still goes into my main problem with all of anime. Pack all of your emotions in one punch. It's this, this thing that's all pent up anxiety versus the thing that holds back your anxiety through false hope. And then they fight in some big emotional battle. And it's just like, oh, you lost me when it gets goofy like this. Essentially, what all movies are about, though, they're about—they're always about things like this. They just not take true, it to anime. <laughs> in Top Gun, true. In Top Gun Two, they just fly jet planes. In Top really Gun, they cool. put no. all of their piloting skill to the test into one final shot down the vent hole of the secret evil base in I don't know a stand to <laughs> finally destroy the enemy that. We don't know what they were doing or what they were planning, but now they're dead. And hooray. They were trying to create a nuclear power for themselves. Top Gun to- is just as ludicrous as uh, as Paranoia Agent or any fiction. It is made to like take your emotions. It's just that, what is it trying to say? Top Gun is not really trying to say anything. It's not true. I, like I could find it. Top, I could find Top Gun. To Top Gun is trying to say, "Go to your nearest Navy recruiter office." By the way, but it's not a bad thing. I like that idea. But Top Gun, they're not penting up like put all of your emotions into this missile that you're going to fire at the enemy. No, because that is dumb. And Joey, the anime thing doesn't work. Once again. The every time uh Maniwa like says like oh I'm going to hit this thing with the sword that knows the truth it he just gets destroyed. Every you, you just I mean we just talked about how Marumi the, the dog fights the blob. And they're metaphorical blobs and dogs. But but what finally defeats it? It's a very quiet moment of Sukiko just Finally accepting coming to terms with that when responsibility she's, for a thing that she did as a young child. Listening to what's his face when they're in the 2D world because she wants to believe he's her dad. Well, he more wants to believe that she's her or she's his daughter, and just wow. I I think that the problem with the final episode in general is that 
I think the true climax happens at the mid-episode, and then there's another half-episode so we can finish up the story. But Honestly, like, would this work better if that one episode with the detective's wife confronting a little slugger, I think would would have worked at least a little better at the end? Because then you're making little slugger into this just huge huge entity that you don't think can be defeated by anybody let alone this this you know meek dying woman i think that would send a more powerful message if you ended with that episode i will get into why that doesn't work just in terms of the culture that this was coming from but um i think that akari like realizing that the life that he remembers is not one that he's ever going to have again and accepting that fact is a much more important uh, conclusion than Sukiko having menstrual cramps as a child and losing her dog. I, I think that that is like Sukiko is kind of a crutch for this show. She is a reason for the plot to happen, but really the the emotional weight is all put on Akari and Maniwa. She has the dog. The dog is killed. Mm -hmm. So it's, and that's why, like, she has menstrual cramps, and that's why she drops the dog. But she doesn't even tell her dad about either one of them because mostly it's she doesn't want to tell her dad that her dog was killed. Period, or because of because of her in general. So so she just invents the story about being attacked. That then she later does again in the first episode. Or no, she's she's not attacked in the first episode. She just she basically creates the entity all over again. Mm-hmm. Yep, she brings them back. So, and this is the reason why, like, ending it on a hopeful note doesn't really work. Um, so the um, this obviously came across during the lost decade in Japan. Big, big, giant recession that lasted a really long time from the like mega boom period in the 80s and a lot of people remember the mega boom period that is why atari exists in this anime is he is made to effectively be part of that like soup but alongside the midpoint to later part of the recession came something that very much resembles like our hustle culture today because now we've gone through two recessions and both times hustle culture has come in and it's hustle culture effectively acts on a a lie of if you work hard enough you will be able to get out of any slump that you are in and people literally work themselves to death thinking that and what cone is doing is he is saying no the that false hope that comes with that understanding is exactly that it is false our country kind of sucks right now which is why tokyo is completely destroyed at the end of this and they even say just to like really really focus it of oh it's just like after the war yeah it sucks we need to rebuild, and we need to rebuild with a completely different understanding of what we are and what we bring in. And then on top of that, he gives that added, like, bad note of the 
very ending scenes of the final episode mirror the beginning of the first episode. So it's just like, this is just happening all over again, because at the end of the day, Satoshi Kon is a cynic. <laughs> I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of the, the usual closing next episode daily at the end, just telling you to rewatch the whole thing over again, because chances are there's a lot you missed. They so just I, can't do it in a loop forever. Yeah, so I remember when we did our Perfect Blue episode, our highest performing episode, by the way, uh, <laughs> that Andy asked a question of, is Satoshi Kon prophetic, or does he keep his, uh, his works broad enough to be able to be applied? And the answer I came to is just that stuff really doesn't change. So that's, that's generally why his work has aged incredibly well and why we can watch Paranoia Agent today and still see themes that we see almost 20 years later. But, Joey, what do you think? Do you think that this really, really shows its age, or do you think that it's broad, or do you think it's, like, applicable? <laughs> I get where people can take things from it. It might not be an idea that I completely subscribe to. But, I mean, when you're talking about, like, basic emotional issues, that's always going to resonate when it comes from inner emotions of a human being. When you're talking about economic issues and, like, basically like how you should be treated as a worker, or how hard you should be working. I mean, as long as people will be employed, that will continue to resonate here. So, I mean, despite like, I mean, we're, as, we're whether we're in the recession now that we're in or we're, you know, the one brought from COVID or the one from 2008, like all of those same ideas can be translated into this. I'm not quite as cynical. I wouldn't call it prophetic, but I mean, I, I think I, I think it easily applies. I mean, especially as a cynic. I mean, because, I mean, the idea that history doesn't always repeat itself, but it always rhymes. And I mean, it's the dog is a cat play. now. What? The dog is a cat now. Dog is a cat. <laughs> you don't get it. It's different now because it's a cat. But, Marwin, what do you think? Well, the series in general or the final episode? Series in general, and the uh, like is is this show does the show like show its age, or do you feel like it's just something that can be applied and reapplied because it's either fairly broad or if Satoshi Kone is secretly Nostradamus? And <laughs> I feel like he, cho he shows something, he chooses subjects broad enough that they can be applied to any decade in any time period, and that's a sign of any great director. Really, it's he just taps it as something in the human mind and goes with that instead of anything topical in the current events. Like, I mean, Jory might rag on it for talking about things like hope and maybe if you're searching your inner feelings and things like that. But the, the thing is, those things are applicable in the 70s, the 90s, they're applicable now, and they're going to be applicable in the future. And that's why people, people are going to still be talking about Satoshi Kon or lots of anime directors for that matter. You, he chooses things that. There are central themes that you could still read in books centuries old that apply here, and that's all he did. He chose oh. subjects broad enough that yeah, that we that we all relate to this stuff. So, and I I agree yeah. with you there, Marlon. Like it, everyone, you you always need a cynic in the room. Like just because I don't necessarily agree with it, I mean, if we're all thinking alike, no one is thinking, right? 
So you need a cynic in the room. You need somebody to say like, no, this is how things are. And that's why, I mean, it's why I, I'll still go see a Darren Aronofsky movie, even though I don't want to go in all the time depressed to see a movie. I'll still go see him to see what he has to say. And I think this is similar. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, I, sometimes yeah. you need to look at the themes of the world today and say like, hey, I want to write something that is like about people's collective anxiety and a collective illusion that just gets out of hand that can be applied to people who like believe in conspiracy theories or in any way just live in a fantasy world and sometimes you're just chris nolan and go like eh, the people really want to see dune again or not not chris <laughs> nolan it's the other guy it's denis vinyl wave i <laughs> did want to see dune again <laughs> <laughs> and dune still ends on a downer that's because it's half a movie. <laughs> <laughs> is it sad that that's usually the better part of the story, too? The first half is definitely better than the second half. What are you talking about? I like the 1984 version where they just speed run through the <laughs> other 300 pages of that book. <laughs> It'll make this whole movie a montage. what the next one will be. That will be funny. The next movie, yeah, will be 45 minutes long. <laughs> It'll just be a Rocky scene. Okay, so Marwin, I'll uh, take you first here. So, we watched Perfect Blue before, which not a lot of people liked. Even I said it was dated. It was good, but dated. Um, would you consider Paranoia Agent to be better than Perfect Blue? Absolutely. It, it dealt with icky subject matter, some of it even more icky subject matter than Perfect Blue. And it wasn't in such a grotesque, in-your-face way. I hate using the word grotesque for Toshi Kong. But it wasn't exploitative. It didn't feel exploitative because that's what Perfect Blue felt like. All the trailers for Perfect Blue I saw as a kid was just, watch this, it has nips in it. Well, this one, Paranoia Agent, it, it's something that you could show to a kid and have them still understand the message. You could still show it to, you could want to watch it with your parents, essentially. And I don't know why that's important to me, but it feels less like it's trying to shock you and it lets the story brief. And Maybe it's because I just watched it recently. I can't compare it to A Clockwork Orange, where that movie, the first 30 minutes, will shock you so much that you just kind of move for the rest of the movie in a day. It's just like, I can't believe that happened. And that's how I feel about Perfect Blue. Like, I'm sure there's a message there, but I'm still focused on this bullshit that happened. That doesn't happen with, um, that doesn't happen here. There's no random acts of violence to shock me. Do you think Cone learned subtlety in the eight years between this movie or Perfect Blue and uh, Paranoia Agent, or do you think it's just he had, like, compared to Perfect Blue, which is two hours, and uh, Paranoia Agent, which is, I mean, altogether six hours, do you think it was just something where he has double the time, so he was able to, like, more, more like, let things breathe compared to just in a movie? I think he he found that there's merit to making something that's not hard to watch because making something that's hard to rewatch that kind of, especially if it's a TV show that you want people to rewatch over and over and over again, and even invite them at the end to rewatch, you're not going to want to make it hard to watch the way you did perfect blue. Because perfect blue movies like Requiem for a dream. I just, you watch it once. It's like, yeah, I get the message. I'm not watching it again. I'm good. <laughs> they think of movies like memento for me. So I think he just learned that I, I want people, I want the message to come across more so than 
any of the shocks or the violence itself. The violence is not important as much as, as much as the message is. Yeah, and I'm I'm keeping uh, Tokyo Godfathers out of this conversation just because uh, Paranoid Agent is closer to uh, to Perfect Blue compared to uh, Tokyo Godfathers because Tokyo Godfathers, let's see, was another. Or actually, it was before Paranoid Agent, yeah. but it was one year before. Um, but I think Tokyo Godfathers is a very different thing from both Perfect Blue and Paranoid Agent. So, Joey, how do you feel about like Perfect Blue compared to this and Paranoid Agent? I think, I mean, again, it's more detailed because he has more time to tell the story. I, from a I have to sit down and watch it standpoint, I'd prefer Perfect Blue just because it's less time because I didn't like either one. But from a storytelling perspective, I thought this story was much, much stronger. It's similar to, like, if I can watch the regular theatrical version of Watchmen versus the Watchmen extended director's cut, I'm going to pick the extended director's cut. Actually, a better example than Watchmen, because, of course, the story is better, or the actual novel is better. But uh, Kingdom of Heaven. The theatrical version of Kingdom of Heaven is blah, but then you get the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven and it completely changes the movie and it makes it that much better just because they have more time to tell a story and they do better for character development. Makes I think things, <laughs> makes things muddy. <laughs> I get you. So like you're watching the Justice League movie, you know, with like Joss Whedon, but you're like, it could be better. So you watch the Zack oh, Snyder. Don't League. make me finally <laughs> have to pull the trigger and sit and watch that for four hours. I'm still trying to steer clear of that, Marlon. I've watched I've watched it on TNT before an AEW show before. I think that's the only time I've ever watched the whole thing of Justice League, and I'm still almost refusing to watch the four-hour version. Have you watched Justice League in theaters, or were you not in Colorado that year? No, I wasn't in Colorado that year. Okay, because I do remember seeing that in theaters with Dad. But no, anyway. we did. The last one I didn't for Thanksgiving in Colorado was uh, Hunger Games. So terrible, <laughs> so terrible. Okay, so seven star rating. I still give this a seven. Uh, I was not having any qualms about still giving this a seven. So Marwin, what do you give it? I see no reason to give it a six. Like I want to, I want to give it a six. I don't want to just give it a seven, give it a perfect score out of the blue. What's six again? Six is exemplary for the genre. Fuck it. It's seven. This is way more than six. <laughs> it's way more than exemplary. It's a seven. Yeah. Seven is so good that it has redefined what good is. And Paranoia Agent, I consider to be the best anime series, like, in general. Yeah, the thing is, I say that about so many anime series, I don't want to feel like I'm becoming IGN Reviews, who just kind of likes everything now. But I feel like everything we watch, I, I keep saying, oh, this is the best thing ever. I know this is the best thing ever. But damn it, I have good luck topping this, <laughs> I guess. Then this might be my final seven, but we'll see. Hey, and Joey, what do you give it on the seven-star scale? You I like want- JoJo's better, so I mean, I was initially going to give it a two, because honestly, I did not like this at all. But, at least through our discussion here, through some of the narratives, like the happy family planning them being dead, I'll give it a little more credit for like some of like the little nuanced storytelling moments that now I remember throughout. I'll move it up to a three and a half. So, Between did not feel robbed, and... 
<laughs> good what but with yeah. clearly bad things I mean, because i mean good with problems to be to be oh there's plenty yeah like that and i mean because to be honest honestly when we review the next one i'll probably forget about it there probably won't be much i'll remember from it so okie doke so next Ooh. time joey you have a choice we have a choice between three things because there are three works out there um and every single one is going to have a different flavor to it because we can go back to shonen anime, much like JoJo's. Only this is like just making fun of it for 12 episodes. And we can watch the first season of One Punch Man, a comedy to like get into anime comedy. But um, the other choices are going to be to go back to Gundam with Gundam The Origin, because Marwin and I watched through Gundam The Origin. It is actually better than I remember. Marwin seemed to really like it. <laughs> I do. I'm glad you watch it. The animation grew on me. Um, or the final option is a completely blind one, which is Netflix recently released from Studio Trigger, Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Which, so bad. I noticed that one. Which I have heard mixed reviews of. <laughs> and Studio Trigger is its own can of worms where normally the stories are dog shit and the animation is beautiful. We have seen their work in Star Wars uh, Visions with the twins, a, <laughs> a uh, entry you into heard. that series where the story was bullshit and the animation was beautiful. <laughs> That was the one where I was the only one that liked it, I remember. That was the one where they took down a Star Destroyer with a freaking lightsaber. Yes. yes. Yep. Pa powered by <laughs> his love of his sister. Yes. <laughs> Nothing Game of Thronesy about that. What did you? I mean, not. I would say One Punch Man because it's the most contemporary, but then I feel bad because I want to. I want to do Gundam because you guys seem to enjoy it, but I also like the idea of all of us going in blind. So. I'll I'll say Arcane, but no, we can't pick Arcane. I already watched Arcane. <laughs> Arcane is very good, but it's also French. It's not Japanese, but all anime is this. All animation is anime. Yeah. I would Frank say Cyberpunk. Then let us okay. all go blind and hate something. Yep. So. Like Jujutsu Kaisen. Yep. So we will watch Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Let's see how many episodes there are first. Not 100. Please, not 100. Doop, doop. There are 10 episodes. Hooray. Oh, that's more than I expected. Watch you guys hate it and me like it. Kind of like the Cowboy, <laughs> Cowboy Bebop live action series. I have watched the trailer for this, Joey, and I do not think you're going to like it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, oh boy. And you are ensuring that I cannot play music from this because the opening theme for this is just This Fire by Franz Ferdinand. So I hate you, Joey. <laughs> I need to find some other song from it to play for it that will not get the episode taken down, even though we do not monetize episodes of anime splitting. <laughs> just play it. Let them send a cease and desist letter. No, because this fire is like one of the worst Franz Ferdinand songs. Hmm. 
That is that true. That might be foretelling. <laughs> I, I, I hope I find an anime that you all just hate just as much as I do. All righty. So next time we will watch Cyberpunk, uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. There are 10 episodes, so we'll see about either going through the entire thing straight through, since we have like two months to <laughs> watch it at this point. I know. Um, I'll pretty much be able to record with you at your house <laughs> and probably watch the episodes at your house if you really needed me to, because I'll be much closer <laughs> in the next month or two. Yep. So that is what we will do next. We will we will get into the cyberpunkness with Netflix, and I hope it's good. I will go in hoping that it is good, but <laughs> Studio Trigger has burned me on quite a few projects beforehand. I um, want you to hate it so much you hit me the next time you see me. Marwin, what do you think you'll be getting from Edge Runners? I think I'll be getting some beautiful animation. I am not even going to be focused on the story that much. I'm not expecting very much at all. Alrighty, so that is anime splaining, and we will be back with Cyberpunk Edge Runners, and that is really it. Here we are being played out by some sort of song from it, I guess. <laughs> Just Mark Reeves in that trailer for Cyberpunk. <laughs> so.